amazing views here coming to us from Starbase, Texas. We're talking about space today. We're talking about space technology. And first we thought we were gonna be so critical and then we saw yeah. some footage of astronauts saying yeah, goodbye to their families. Yeah, we to take down like the private space industry to talk about the military roots of you know Space Force and all its predecessors. And we watched this Netflix documentary last night and we were both just like, uh-oh, it's kind of getting me. Yeah, we were like watching the shuttle dock onto the International Space Station. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> yes. The rocket like successfully took off. They really did a good job. Um, they made it about like those two guys, like the two astronauts in the rocket. These two guys, you know, both had these like perfect like little wife and like equally aged sons somehow. The wives were astronauts too, which is just like, it's a family business. You gotta get a wife that's like equally on board to be like, oh yeah. Yeah, you're, you're peeing in a tube. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. That's and why you haven't been home in six months. Yeah, you're definitely having fun with the suction tube that takes in your pee. Oh my God. They're definitely jerking off of that. Okay, that is where my brain goes first. They're being recorded at all times. They probably didn't have any time to jerk off. Mm. Or did they account for that? And was that in the SpaceX budget, like to have an extra like padded room? Yeah, hide up porn. There's like a couple of Hustler magazines. There's like astronaut hookers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. We're talking about the space industry today. SpaceX had a failed launch on 420. 420 to prove that he was based. That makes me feel lame for celebrating 420. I yeah. went, I like really <laughs> celebrated 420. I went to Denver. Did you really? <laughs> this past year? I went to Denver on 420 and like got the 420 discount. I was there for standup. It, it just coincided with my sure. trip to Denver. <laughs> Did you, I did you get high for your show? I usually don't smoke weed before I go on stage. Fair enough. It's not fair for the people who paid. I shouldn't be having more fun than them. Then you think like everything's going really well and the audience is like, why is she talking so slow? Oh my yeah. gosh. So anyway, yeah. space. Um, global space industry is on the rise. The revenue generated by the industry is going to increase to more than $1 trillion by 2024, according to a Morgan Stanley study in 2020. And a lot of companies are getting involved in this gold rush and a lot of countries too. We have space companies from Israel, Japan. Yeah, Israel just crashed something on the moon. Yeah. Which is I like think, a yeah. success story, I guess, for them. Yeah, they had some um, capsule called Bereshit. That's like the word for Genesis. Just moments ago, Israel tried to land a spacecraft on the moon but failed. We unfortunately have not managed to land successfully. We are the seventh country to orbit the moon and the fourth to reach the moon's surface. It's a tremendous achievement up to now. Well, we didn't make it, but we definitely tried. And I think that the achievement of getting to where we got is really tremendous. I think we can be proud. <clears throat> India has a bunch of startups. You have still a lot of startups in the US that we're not even gonna have time to get to. One, which is really funny, which is 
called spin launch. Basically, instead of shooting yourself with a rocket into space, their idea is that you could be flung into space. They have a mass accelerator that will spin around a number of times and then shoot up into space. And ultimately, if they do get it to work, it will stave off those environmental impacts of rockets launching because like 90% of each rocket is is its fuel. So if Whoa. you can do just the propulsion by spinning shit around, fine. Mm. But right now, astrophysicists are very skeptical of it, even though it's getting millions and millions in venture capital yeah. funding. Like one astrophysicist was asked about what he thinks of spin launch and the journalist is like, hey, they're doing suborbital flights. Right. And the guy's like, uh, I can throw my hat and call it suborbital like who cares yeah so right now spin launch is like going as high as commercial airlines which is like six to eight miles high not very high yeah it's like at what point do you just become an airline and not even a space company but i will say spin launch sounds like a great cycling class yeah i would pay up to 70 dollars for an hour of that but yeah for a while it was a little bit all about like these three space barons in the private space industry you had elon musk Jeff Bezos, and Richard Branson. But now we're starting to see some other players, and we're also seeing some of those players low-key fall off. Yeah, so last month, Richard Branson's company, Virgin Orbit, declared bankruptcy. Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit made a big bet on launching satellites from airborne 747s. But that bet hasn't paid off. In March, Virgin Orbit laid off 85% of its staff and filed for bankruptcy in April. Virgin Orbit started out as a branch of Richard Branson's larger space venture, Virgin Galactic, in 2012. Virgin Galactic does still exist and does space tourism for the ultra-rich. They're doing suborbital flights, so they're not really going into outer space. They're not going to a place where they can orbit the Earth. Yeah, they're we can even distinguish that right now. Like, there's yeah. orbital and suborbital, and orbital flights will actually circle the Earth at least once in a stable way. So that's completing one orbital revolution. And everything else is suborbital. Like, a suborbital flight might go into space, but then they're just come right back down. And yeah. to actually become orbital in your flight, you have to be fast as fuck. And that's why it's such an accomplishment. Three times the speed of sound yeah. in order to to uh, reach the velocity in which that you could start orbiting the planet. So Blue Origin, a rocket can go above the agreed upon line, which separates outer space, which is the Kármán line. But in the end, they're not actually becoming orbital because they're not fast enough. And they're not able to get into Earth's orbit. You're just like going up. Usually the flights are about 11 minutes. Like the, you yeah, saw the, the one Origin. that Will, William Shatner did with Bezos. Like they just go up for a couple minutes they like get to feel weightlessness mm -hmm. for a little bit and boom, that's it. As noted today, we are flying customers Chris Bosshausen and Glenda Vries, Blue Origins Vice President of Mission and Flight Operations, Audrey Powers, and of course, cultural icon, William Shatner. Um, I do understand that our astronauts have made it into the Rivians, there they are. And look who their chauffeur is, none other than Jeff Bezos, also in his flight suit. And if you want to get technical, they go to the 62 mile line, which is the Carmen line. Whereas Richard Branson's would only go to 53, which is still in space because NASA considers everything after 50 technically space, but wasn't going to the Carmen line like Bezos's venture was. So anyway, there's orbital and suborbital, and most companies are only doing suborbital. But... SpaceX is doing tours into orbit, which is why they're the major player, they're the big kahuna. 
SpaceX, also known as the Space Exploration Technology Corporation. We all know this is one of the big, big tech companies. The current valuation is $137 billion, and that is the highest valuation of any private U.S. company. Um, you may have heard about SpaceX recently in the news because NASA is reportedly going to use SpaceX's help to bring home crew members who are on the International Space Station right now after a Russian capsule began to leak coolant. That was in the news this past week. And you probably also heard about SpaceX in the news because of Starlink, which is like the internet, like the satellite arm of SpaceX, um, is providing Ukraine with internet amidst its war. But we wanted to do like a larger, deeper dive into the company so that when you do hear SpaceX in the news, you know what's really going on. Yeah, tell me about the rockets. SpaceX's first vehicle that the company ever built was called Falcon 1. The development costed over $90 million, and the name Falcon comes from guess where? Elon Musk's father. <laughs> that would be nice and touching and heartwarming, but no. I feel like this is going to be like a major theme with a lot of um, our investigations, but Falcon is a name adopted from the DARPA project. Oh, <laughs> the DARPA of Falcon course. project. So the even quick though DARPA definition, sure. For those uh, yeah, if you didn't hear an earlier episodes, initiated. DARPA is an arm of the Pentagon. It's the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. They invest a lot of money into new technology for defense. You know, that's yeah. the word we use for military in the U.S. Because of course, we only use our military for defense and nothing yeah, else. Yeah, of course. I and mean, all research is is just defensive research. It's and never. It's, the only it's like those missiles we sell to Saudi Arabia right. that are only defensive. They rain down on because Yemen. You, you need to defend yourself against children playing soccer outside. Of course. They're very, very vicious. So yeah, the name Falcon came from the DARPA Falcon Project. This was the first vehicle that SpaceX ever built. And even though it was privately funded, the first two Falcon launches were purchased by the US military. So in the beginning, the Falcon launches just kept failing. Um, you had three failures in a row. The company was almost ended. And at the time, it's actually funny, um, who knows if this is actually true, but reports say that Musk at the time was waking from nightmares, he was screaming in physical pain, all because of the stress. And I think the interesting point here is, even though you have a billionaire backer to these space companies, that doesn't necessarily mean success. Like Branson's company eventually went under because their rockets were not launching successfully. Musk and Branson like are both billionaires, but only Musk had government ties, which is why he was able to kind of keep failing and still stay in business, which we'll get into as well. They failed three times to launching the Falcon 1. Then finally in 2009, the fourth attempt is successful. Three, two, one. Zero. We're in station. And we're flying. We have liftoff. SpaceX Falcon uh -oh. 1 launch vehicle. Falcon has cleared the tower. Falcon 1 then becomes the first privately developed uh, fully liquid launch vehicle to go into orbit around Earth. And then NASA gave SpaceX $1.6 later that year in December, and that effectively saved the company financially. And they did another launch of uh, Falcon 1 as well. Um, the fifth attempt, which was also successful. So that was kind of the beginning of SpaceX rocket business, the Falcon 1 era. And they're also getting so much funding from NASA and yes. from the government in order to do this. It's it's the only thing keeping them financially alive. That's right. So that's the Falcon 1 era. Then we have the Falcon 9 era. And this is called Falcon 9 because it has nine engines instead of one. So this is where we start to see SpaceX becoming the leading global commercial launch provider. Falcon 9 also fails a couple times before it really 
really takes off. The first major failure in 2015 exploded two minutes into the flight. Second major failure 2016 exploded pre-launch, and that sends the company into a four-month launch hiatus. But by 2017, SpaceX has achieved a 45% global market share for all awarded commercial launch contracts from the government. That's also the year that we really start to see the company expand. SpaceX launches the Boring Company, which you may have heard mm. of as like one of- uh, The most- tunnel, the famous tunnel under Vegas that right. really did nothing to ease traffic and people just go slowly in Teslas under underneath the city. It's yeah, really like just they like have a the tunnel like kind of on and near SpaceX headquarters. And then Elon kind of tried to position it as like, we're gonna solve transportation. And like you read the company mission statement and like you hear about his plans for, you know, being this like huge global solution. And you're like, has this man heard of a train? Like, yeah, the- no, you you don't want to put public transportation in the hands of somebody who sells cars. Right. That's just not right. what you want to do as a city, even though there are cities in the US who are looking at Elon Musk. Cause right. it they is like astronomically expensive to build mm-hmm. a tunnel. But Elon Musk is like, what if we just built a one lane one? I could do that for very cheap. And then you'll just like build a bunch of them. And so he just builds these small tunnels that do nothing. We can maybe dive into the boring company another time, but I just bring it up because it started as a subsidiary of SpaceX, but then by 2018, it spun out into its own company. Um, So anyway, Falcon 9 launched successfully for the first time in 2019 and safely returns to Earth's orbit, big success good PR day for the company. This is the first time that we're gonna see a launch from American soil in almost 10 years time. So they were really relying, and including us, on uh, the ro- uh, the Russian Soyuz rockets. And those are expensive. And so this uh, it's nice to see this come back to uh, US soil, I guess, uh, uh, just what we're used to. Yeah, a bit more of what we're used to, as you say. Uh, it was interesting, uh, uh, Bob McDonald was, was mentioning how it was a little bit of embarrassing for the Americans to have to rely on the Russians for any space launch. So here they are re-establishing the, uh, the U.S. space program. The seats, for example, as well, they get in, they are sitting mostly forward, and then they rotate um, to an almost, you know, lying down position that you see there. Uh, so this is really state-of-the-art, amazing things. This um, this uh, uh, capsule can also take up to uh, four, four to seven seats. So um, it's uh, it's actually uh, an amazing vehicle. Amazing vehicle. Uh, two astronauts will be on board, as we said, Robert Benkin and Douglas Hurley, uh, both American astronauts, best friends, by the way. And uh, Chris Hadfield earlier today, he, he noted the fact it's Bob and Doug going up in space. So uh, maybe adding a little bit Canadian content to this. Oh, yeah, take off, eh? <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about the significance here, because not only are we talking about a capsule going up into space that's very different, but significant because it could chart a different path going forward when it comes to space travel. SpaceX, I mean, the U.S. government said that they want to uh, commercialize their their part of the the, uh, ISS, the International Space Station. So SpaceX is going to take people, although people with a lot of money, um, up into space, just uh, ordinary civilians. So this is, this will, that will be an amazing first. Um, This is the first test launch with humans on board since 1981 in the space shuttle. Uh, it, it's this is it's been that long. I was I was an eight year old kid at the time, and uh, so I'm aging myself. But this is why it is such an historic 
uh, moment and uh, it's thrilling to watch. And oh, don't forget the Falcon 9, the first stage of the Falcon 9 rocket is going to land. Uh, it's scheduled to land on the drone ship off the coast and that will be another first. So we are seeing a lot of firsts here. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition. Liftoff of the Falcon 9 and Crew Dragon. Go NASA, go NASA. So that's the Falcon 9 era. Then we have the Starship era, which you could say is the era that we're in right now with SpaceX. Starship is this like really ambitious rocket project. It's 37 stories, 33 engines. The idea of Starship is to take a big load to Mars. But in order to get there, you need to do inter intermediate fueling. You need an interplanetary space station first. And it's not really what NASA's asking for right now, but we'll get into that a little right. bit more Right, I later. mean, but who cares what NASA wants? Who cares what the taxpayer <laughs> wants? But yeah, it's it, you're right. You would need like a ton of refueling because of, it's so big, it's going to be the largest rocket in human history if it's successful. So in April of this year, just last month, April 2023, the FAA issued a license for SpaceX to launch the first orbital test of Starship. But on April 20th, as we know, it spun out of control and uh, that and, happened yeah. shortly after it took the skies, everything came crashing down. All of this kind of just goes to show that Elon is pretty deeply in bed um, with the US federal government with even just the rocket arm of SpaceX. We haven't even gotten into the satellites yet. This is a company whose entire business model depends on continuing those contracts with the federal government, right? So it kind of makes you question like, okay, well now we also have the same man the head of a quote unquote free speech platform. Like what kind of reporting are we gonna get on the Fed? The math isn't mathing. Should you know, space public square? Yeah, should SpaceX have a state funded label right next right. to its name on Twitter? Speak Elon on Musk. it. <laughs> Speak on it. And then also like any other, you know, large company, SpaceX uh, isn't the best employer. They have a culture of burnout according to Blue Origin, which as we mentioned is Jeff Bezos's uh, space competitor venture. I think that's what you want. People who are operating rockets, you don't want them to sleep. You don't want them to be have too much focus. Right. You want them to. Well, it's know. good because it's like if you have an employee that stays with the company for multiple years, you're going to have to give them a raise every year. So it's yeah. better if they burn out and quit and then you only have to pay starting salaries forever. I think it's also what we're seeing with like the Writers Guild protests right now. It's like companies are willing to pay you so little if you have a cool job. If yeah. you're if you're like building rockets, I'm sure that's like what a lot of people want dreamt of doing when they were little. So we can pay you peanuts and work you overtime. Mm. But hey, you're a rocket you're scientist. Yeah, your paycheck might not say that, but it kind of sucks that the writers have become the flashpoint for like the labor movement right now. If there's a group of people that America at large like is not going to be sympathetic to 
it's Hollywood writers. Like, yeah. No one relates to that. But maybe they will be forced to when Ted Lasso doesn't come out with another right. season yeah. or whatever. <laughs> They're, like, They're no. like, how could you do this to us? <laughs> It'd be like an interesting experiment to like have AI write episodes of one of those shows and like see if see if it could the be better. Test <laughs> like if we could if not better or worse, but just like if we could tell the difference. Yeah. You know, I don't know if AI is there yet, but maybe that some ChatGPT is definitely not there. But I'm sure a lot of these studios like invested a lot in this technology. So yeah, good. the issue is that they're putting copyrighted stuff into the machine to oh, spit out new yeah. stuff. So you're using, basically like, using words. the writer's work already. Yeah. So it's definitely possible that they could create facsimiles. But you're not using the book. writer's work technically because it's not their IP. It's the studio's IP if they wrote yeah, it for the Yeah, so studio. they could do it. Unfortunately, not a lot of bargaining power. Anyway, SpaceX has a culture of burnout. We learned that, quote, burnout is a part of their labor strategy. When Blue Origin was kind of doing research on its competitor, they came out with this dossier, I guess. This is a quote from an article from The Verge. In an attempt to recreate SpaceX's success, executives at spaceflight venture Blue Origin once praised the rival company's burnout culture as a working labor strategy, with some managers arguing that Blue Origin needs to, quote, get more out of employees and encourage them to come in on weekends. I mean, how bad do you have to be to get Jeff Bezos's company to be looking at you with jealousy? Wow. Like we know those Amazon employees, like burnout is really a part of their culture and they can't pee, they can't sit down. They're not yeah. in an air conditioned room sometimes in the stocking houses. Yeah, it's not you enough know, to pee in bottles. You gotta be drinking the piss yeah. too. <laughs> like, like the what fact, else? Yeah. Can, yeah, like what is the next level? We also found this like funny employee review from SpaceX and this doesn't really mean anything like there's always disgruntled employees at every American company but it is kind of funny I just want to read like a quick quote from it there is no formal training at this company and worse of all there is no specifications he says most of the management has no experience in aviation for some reason they love to hire foreign car people from BMW and Mini to build rocket ships hey how about going down the road to Aviation Boulevard and snagging some Lockheed Boeing or Raytheon guys don't worry though, there is an anonymous email that you can send to upper management to express concerns about the company. Weird thing though, is when you send them a nasty gram anonymously, you get pulled into a meeting with the same people you sent it to the next day. Uh, so good employer vibes over at SpaceX. You, you mm -hmm. think exploding things not on, on unreasonable schedules is making people stressed out. For unclear reasons, like vague aspirations about creating life on Mars. Yeah, but there is another company that didn't have so much, um, can we say? Baggage? So much baggage, not that much controversy, not a, that many resources, and definitely not that much government money. Mm. Um, so Rocket Lab was founded in New Zealand by this guy, Peter Beck, who was a dishwasher engineer. You thought your dishwasher was amazing. Turns out if you just play with the nozzles enough, you'll be airborne and you yeah. know, I'm kidding. But he- It diminishes um, years of hard work, why don't you? Yeah, he he was just like a you know, dishwasher engineer guy and had his hobbies at night. He would make a jet back and ride roller skates with it. He put a jetpack on a bicycle. And then he was working for uh, the government of New Zealand and their industry engineering department. And he was like, actually, I kind of want to build rockets. And then it, and um, that government office was like, hey, you could just like use our garage and our stuff. And he was able to build a rocket that can go orbital, um, unlike Blue Origin and unlike 
virgin. Obviously, he did get the investment of multimillionaires, one of which is named Mark Rocket. He changed his name to Rocket. And I think we do need to talk a little bit about how obsessed millionaires and billionaires are with space. I think it's just because after you've like flung yourself into the ocean so many times, you've been parasailing, yeah. you've been water skiing, you've you been kite fleet. skiing, yeah. you've been on submarines. You're like, I need a different place to, to eject my body I to. to. Get yeah, higher. I need to get higher yeah. physically. The meth isn't doing it. You know, the, the rich person in the penthouse looking down at the city, everyone's below him. You know, you're in your private jet looking down at the little earthlings. But yeah, like I want the earth between my yeah. pointer and thumb. But yeah, it's a big accomplishment that this other company, Rocket Lab, managed to reach orbit. And yeah, the founder didn't go to university. He, he, he oh, just yeah. took like a standardized test and received the equivalent of a high school diploma. He did a trade program for dye making. That's like where he learned production skills. Did you explain that he's from New Zealand? Yeah, and there aren't that many aeronautic engineers there. So he didn't really have like the co collaboration with the, you know, the top in his field that's mm. SpaceX and, or I guess SpaceX is getting the top at BMW, but. Lockheed Martin is like a strategic investor. Now, yeah, yeah now. Since 2015, yeah. But yeah, true, um, 2009, I think, is when Rocket Lab became the first private company in the Southern Hemisphere to reach space um, with its rocket. Yeah, so, now yeah. he's got contracts with NASA. Go Peter Beck. When Musk was speaking to Ashley Vance, this reporter who was going to New Zealand to interview Peter Beck, he was like, why would you go to New Zealand? I would only go to see Kim.com. Yeah, like an <laughs> obvious attempt to like diminish Rocket Lab as a competitor to SpaceX. And now it might, it might really fuck with SpaceX's bottom line. I don't know if it's gonna like actually threaten the company, but it's definitely threatening from like a PR perspective and maybe to Elon as a person, because I feel like he really cares about like being super special in that regard. Rocket Lab, like you'll like this, because remember in our old episode, you were like, we should go to Venus, not Mars. And I was like, why are we going to either of them? But Rocket Lab says that they want to become the first private company to reach Venus. So they're building a probe called mm -hmm. the Venus Life Finder. They say that they're planning to do that and arrive on Venus in June of 2025. Oh, damn. I'm excited for that. No, I'm not excited for the <laughs> no, rocket industry. The space industry, it's I a do. rocket. <laughs> and you're like, oh, can we watch the live launch? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love watching things explode and mm -hmm. rockets launch? I mean, I'm an American. I enjoy that stuff. And we should also it's mention- It's in my blood. We should also mention that Rocket Lab is also an American because around 2013, they moved their headquarters from New Zealand to the US, so. They are now a U.S. company with headquarters in California. And California, California. Let's talk about the origins of SpaceX. As much as you'd want to believe that Elon Musk just woke up one day and had an idea and then executed on it, the origins of SpaceX go all the way back to a man named Michael Griffin. Side note, Michael Griffin is also a board member on Rocket Lab as of 2020. Strange. But a uh, bigger role is definitely in the origins of SpaceX. So And privatizing space. Exactly, which is what SpaceX is at the forefront of doing. Michael Griffin worked really closely with Elon before SpaceX was founded. So 
SpaceX kind of has these um, national security state and imperialist origins. Um, if you want to go all the way back, it goes to a program called Brilliant Pebbles, which was a ballistic missile defense system proposed in 1987. First, it was Ooh, um, a program called Smart Rocks. And then at one point, someone was like, we don't need smart rocks. We need Brilliant Pebbles, a.k.a. there should be more of them. They should be even better, but they should be smaller. Um, and by pebbles, we really mean satellites, right? This is a satellite program. So this was uh, during the Cold War, actually near the end of the Cold War, because it was 1987, but they didn't know that yet. They didn't know it was near the end. So during the Cold War for them, near the end of the Cold War for us. I think some people still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely doesn't feel like it's over sometimes when you're on Twitter. The program consisted of thousands of small satellites, each with missiles that would be placed into low orbit so that hundreds would be above the Soviet Union at all times. The declared purpose, of course, was that if the Soviets were going to like launch its ICBM fleet at us, then these pebbles, which are satellites, they're not pebbles, um, would detect them and then destroy the warheads before they were actually able to get anywhere. Yeah. So Michael Griffin served as the deputy for technology of the Strategic Defense Initiative Organization, it's a missile defense program by the US military. Um, in the late 1980s, he joined NASA and was chief engineer and associate administrator for exploration at NASA. So that was kind of his earlier career. Then he leaves NASA and kind of has several executive posts mm -hmm. in, in this space. Um, in aerospace companies. In 1991, he was the president of Orbital Sciences, um, which was a space, space launch company with contracts from the US government to build rocket launchers for the Brilliant Pebbles program. And to give a sense of like what his vision is and how it aligns with the mission of SpaceX, we can look at his Heritage Foundation paper that he wrote, which was called Ending America's Vulnerability to Ballistic Missiles. That's when he advocates basically for what SpaceX is now doing for low Earth orbit constellation of sensors and interceptor weapons to defend against ballistic missiles. In 2001, Michael Griffin is president of InQtel. It's a CIA's venture capital arm. They invest in technology to serve national security. Him and Elon Musk travel to Russia to buy ICBMs, but Russia's like, mm, I don't, I'm not like quite sure about that. Um, and so reportedly like Elon Musk is frustrated about this and that's why they start this company. This trip mm. is literally, this the failed trip because Russia said no, is credited uh, as leading to the formation of SpaceX. Why did they think that Russia would sell them ICBMs? It's unclear and I actually think it's a fake origin story. Because, like, you have to have no experience in foreign policy to think that Russia would UCIA sell a U.S. Guy company. Yeah, exactly. Would not just get immediately arrested. I completely when, agree. It's like we they, went missile shopping right. and they were not available. <laughs> and they didn't, and my card declined. I know, yeah. So anyway, he, him and Elon must go to Russia. Russia's like IDK. And then they start this company and it's called SpaceX. So Michael Griffin is really the reason for SpaceX's foundation, but also the reason it stays alive because he's NASA administrator from 2005 to 2009 under George W. Bush. And in 2006, that's when NASA awards SpaceX a $396 million contract. That's before SpaceX ever even fired a rocket, right, in 2006. Um, mm. That's as they were developing Falcon 9. And obviously they had other things to show for their company, but it's a huge contract to get from NASA for them to basically say like, we trust you, like you're our contractor now. So it almost seems like uh, regardless of what failed or what succeeded, that was already gonna be the planned relationships. Like SpaceX is gonna serve the role of privatizing the, the space race by the US, which started 
obviously during the Cold War. But just to kind of show how important of a role like Michael Griffin played in the administration, we can look to the fact that he was sworn in by Vice President Dick Cheney himself, which apparently, I mean, I don't know anything about the way NASA administrators are sworn in. People say that this is like a huge rarity um, and that kind of signifies the importance that NASA and the space race had uh, to the Bush administration. It was a rarity that the vice president shows up? That he was sworn in by the vice president as NASA administrator. Yeah, like Dick usually, Cheney just okay, had his fingers in so many pies. The head of the DOD gets sworn in yeah. by the president probably. In December 2008, uh, SpaceX is again on the verge of bankruptcy and Griffin awarded SpaceX and his own company, Orbital Sciences, each with contracts for a combined value of $3.5 billion. And this is mm -hmm. what Elon Musk actually credits as the contract that saved his company financially. Behind every Elon Musk is, a Mark, is a Mark Griffin. Yeah. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, behind every man is the drawer that I need to get to. Why are you even in the kitchen yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. As soon as my boyfriend enters the kitchen, I'm like, <laughs> what do Why you need? would you do this to me? Please don't come here. Okay, so now we start getting into the satellite aspect of the business. So the rocket side of the business, which we talked about earlier, is the part that you think of probably when you think of SpaceX. It's mm. kind of like the PR arm. But the real profit is being turned by putting these satellites into space. But I didn't know that you could, you didn't just like launch satellites in. You needed you need a rockets. rockets to drop right. them off. Yeah, 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 the rocket. I was like, I thought you just like punted that sh little pebble into the air. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really key. The rocket aspect of SpaceX is always gonna have customers. The more internet it's providing to people, the more broadband, whatever, that creates the necessity for the rocket business. SpaceX launch director, go for launch. And with that, we are go to proceed with our launch today. So let's sit back and watch as Falcon 9 takes our 56 Starlink satellites into space. Three, two, one, zero, lift off. Stage one propulsion is up. At T plus 33 seconds, Falcon 9 has successfully lifted off from Space Launch Complex 40 in Cape Canaveral, Florida at 4.01 p.m. Eastern Time. As a reminder, Starlink is a satellite internet constellation designed and manufactured by SpaceX to provide high-speed, low-latency internet to people living all around the world, as well as remote and rural locations. The satellite is like the part that's more interesting to me, the satellite arm of the business, because that's the part that you really see have its origins, not in Elon Musk at all. Like he did not come up with this idea. And if it wasn't his company, it would have been some other billionaire's company doing it, right? We're talking about the privatization of space and, and how it's being pursued. And yeah. Elon Musk is just at the helm of that ship. Yeah, it's it's annoying because like sometimes you'll see the way SpaceX gets covered a lot is like as if it's just a matter of Elon's ego and recklessness, which like, sure, he has yeah. an ego and whatever, but it's really not about him. Like the truth is actually a little bit even more concerning. It's really about the privatization of surveillance. So the satellite arm of SpaceX is called Starlink. This was announced in 2015, right after some money from Google and Fidelity came in. The, those mm -hmm. They both invested in 2015. Um, and essentially Starlink is uh, a satellite constellation operation by SpaceX. Um, it's a commercial satellite-based internet service via this constellation of its satellites, mm. which like I, I, we like to think of the word constellation as meaning just the stars, and they're like, no, we can have man-made constellations too, so. Yeah, and then the satellites look like stars anyways. Yeah, to us, exactly. They started launching satellites in 2019, 
And actually, uh, Starlink became the largest ever satellite constellation in January of 2020. So they're going hard. There's more than 3,200 active satellites, and that constellation grows larger as we speak. The mission with Starlink ostensibly is to provide global internet service through satellites. Um, essentially, it's actually a reboot of this even older company from the 90s called Teledesic, which was founded in 1990. Teledesic. Teledesic. Oh, really? That's something I did not know. Teledesic. Founded in 1990 by the son of the founder of Macaw Cellular, which was kind of like this mobile phone tycoon. I think our parents would probably recognize the company name. It ended up getting bought out in by AT&T in 1993, which is what made uh, Craig Macaw a billionaire. So Craig Macaw, the son of the founder, and now this tech billionaire, thanks to the buyout by AT&T, and Bill Gates, who he brought on as a partner, went to work basically raising money for this company called Teledesic. And it's the same mission that now Starlink has adopted, which was they wanted small satellites and they wanted to become the universal internet service provider for the whole world. The plan was, oh, we just need 840 small satellites, which was at the time more than the total satellites in mm -hmm. space. Now, obviously, we have way more. It's um, worth mentioning that other, yeah, other space organizations or other space startups are trying to replicate this and they're trying, like yeah. Blue Origin is, they're like, we got our pebbles too. And then- but yeah, at, at this time, like in the 90s, there were an, a, a couple other companies also trying to do what Teledesic was doing. But again, no one really had it done. And even Teledesic basically failed. Teledesic said, we're gonna offer low earth orbit satellite internet service anywhere the sky is visible. They partnered with Boeing, who was gonna build and launch the satellites. They were like, okay, 840 satellites, that's the plan. And Boeing was like, mm, could we do 300? And instead of making them small satellites, could they be big satellites? And then Teledesic was like, no, like this is our plan. And Boeing was like, well, you don't have really any other option but to work with us. So actually this is the plan now. And the reason for that, we found out later, the satellite manufacturers who were essentially a monopoly didn't want to start making smaller satellites because they already had large satellites in inventory, number one, but they also didn't want to create the conditions to lose market share to startups. They were like, well, if we start building these smaller satellites, then the bar to entry is going to be lower and maybe other companies are going to start. To yeah, then anybody's going to be building right. a satellite in their garage. Yeah. You could have a dishwasher engineer just. Exactly. And then Boeing was like, oh, and then maybe the U.S. military is going to start contracting with someone else instead of us because it's going to be cheaper and like they didn't want to lose market share. So basically the company went under between that and also the high cost of like actually building these satellites. It didn't really work. And it didn't really make sense at the time because at this time, like, sure, the internet existed, but it wasn't like it is now. Like everyone, no matter rural, urban, whatever, using the internet. So the cost didn't really make sense compared to the ground infrastructure, like optical fibers and copper, like just getting internet the regular way, the satellite way. Just yeah, it's just sense. more reliable to get it the fiber way. Yeah, I think what's interesting about Starlink is they've been desperately trying to get these FCC um, grants mm. to get broadband service to rural communities. And they were about to get this really huge sum of money in the billions mm. for rural broadband and they didn't get it mm. because it was just that the cost was too high, FCC said, because even after these like ridiculous subsidies, each satellite dish for an urban for a rural household would have costed six hundred dollars. Like six hundred dollars yeah. for the dish. It didn't make sense. And uh and but and he, as much as you know Musk postures as this libertarian guy, like he protested that decision by the FCC mm -hmm. 
and was like, it's grossly unfair that yeah. we're not getting our money. That's kind of unsurprising, though, for a libertarian because their whole thing is like, fuck the government. There should be no regulation. But they should give my company money. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a self-made billionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the reason I am successful is because of my to-do lists. Yeah. <laughs> because I or lack up, thereof. Because I wake up early. Yeah, lack thereof, more likely. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like if SpaceX, which is it's already on its way to be, becomes like the global internet service provider... He's going to be untouchable from the perspective of anti-monopoly stuff because, like, if it's cost-effective, then every internet service provider is going to want to use his satellite-based broadband. But he has yet to make it cost-effective. Starlink is is turning a profit. Starlink is turning a crazy profit. SpaceX. Okay. Oh, SpaceX. On its, I mean, uh, like, the rocket stuff is, like, Starlink is uh, funding the rocket business, basically. Yeah. The internet business is funding the rocket business. Because Starlink customers can be anywhere. Like you don't have to, you know how like right now it's like, oh, well my neighborhood is serviced by Verizon and, and my neighborhood is serviced by Optimum, like whatever. We but hate Starlink, Optimum here. Oh yeah. <laughs> Starlink is different though, because a customer can be literally anywhere. They just have to decide, I want a Starlink modem. So I've had my Starlink for about a week now. This week I did a DIY install of Elon Musk's Starlink. But I live, travel, and game out of my van. And one of the biggest hurdles is maintaining a good and steady internet connection because I live completely off grid. That all changed a couple days ago when SpaceX announced that Starlink is now available for van life gamers. I could literally be on top of a mountain just like this one and have high speed, unthrottled, uncapped internet. So there's this perspective that I tend to agree with that the Starlink bullshit is like a US national security state front. Like the like the way that the US like um, privatizes a lot of its security apparatus. Like for example, the NSA is no longer doing bulk data collection, but now it's Verizon, AT&T, mm -hmm. uh, Time Warner, whatever. That's where the data is stored, right? So in, in a similar way, like, okay, maybe the CIA is not flying satellites above everyone and like spying on all these countries through satellites or spying on everyone through internet but now it's spacex via starlink so it's interesting because um starlink has recently been in the, been in the news because it makes its internet service available to ukraine take a wild guess to who else iran take a wild guess mm -hmm. to who else to cuba venezuela really? Right. But like, it's interesting to what do all these countries have in common? Right. This is kind of where the U.S. wants regime change. Right. Where the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, has interests. Right. Whether we agree with them or not, we don't need to get into foreign policy. Yeah. But the U.S. definitely has, you know, interests in those countries. So there's this perspective that it's obviously just a front for the security state, like many U.S. private companies. So Musk basically got involved in the Ukraine-Russia war when he decided to make Starlink, quote, the primary communication system of the Ukrainian army on the war front. That's something that he tweeted in October 2022. In February of 2022, Musk announced that he was going to send a bunch of these Starlink terminals to Ukraine so the military could stay connected. You know, if Russia destroys power lines or telecom infrastructure, whatever, Ukraine will still be fine, the Ukrainian military. And at the time, like, he kind of really made it seem like he was just doing this out of the kindness of his heart. Like, this is a personal gift. I'm a, I'm a wealthy man. Like, here you go. I just want to yeah. help the Ukrainian people. But we know from reporting by Yasha Levine and from a USAID SID press release that the U.S. government was actually pulling the strings kind of behind the scenes. And um, paying for it? 
So listen to this, quote, USAID wasn't a minor partner, but seemingly a major one, not only buying a bunch of Starlink dishes, but arranging and funding the transport costs to get those into the war zone. Yep, looks like Musk's altruistic gift. This is obviously the reporter's voice, not me. Yep, look like, looks like Musk's altruistic gift to help the people of Ukraine was in part funded by a U.S. government agency, an agency with a history of fronting for various covert soft power operations, including meddling in Ukraine. So we don't need to get too in the weeds, but like, yeah, you know, we know you what USAID is, right? Part of the State Department, yeah. Right, aid, but... Yeah, non-military aid, but in this... But in Ukraine, it's being definitely used for military purposes. Right. Musk basically probably originally thought that this was going to help his reputation. Um, and in the U.S., it definitely did. Like, the liberal media, I would say, like, definitely liked that he was They're providing like, internet yeah, yeah, yeah. to Ukraine. They're like, um, does he have a Ukrainian flag in his window? Okay. Right. <laughs> Me too. But I then the Ukrainian military was, like, using Starlink to increase its combat capabilities. And that isn't really great for business if Musk wants to expand to non-Western markets, which, as we established earlier, he wants to be the global internet service provider. So now he's facing criticism from the pro-war segment of the West because he decided to limit the use of Starlink in Ukraine. And he's saying, like, it shouldn't be militarized, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you could applaud that decision, but I think it was made from a business perspective. Like, I, I think mm -hmm. it's because he wants to make sure he has relationships with all these other governments. He doesn't want to anger the Russians. Right. Or he still wants those ICBMs he looked at the first <laughs> he still, time. He's like, he won't let it go. <laughs> so now, obviously, he's facing criticism here, but I don't think he cares so much about that. I think it's more about the business interests. And it's not just like, oh, he let them, you know, have internet. Like, who really cares? But, like, this was literally what the military was using. Like, Musk called Starlink the communication backbone of Ukraine. This is a tweet from a Ukrainian soldier. Elon Musk's Starlink is what changed the war in Ukraine's favor. Russia went out of its way to blow up all our comms, and now they can't. Starlink works under fire, even artillery fire. It even works in Mariupol. That was in April 2022. I wonder if the Russians are thinking of taking Starlink down. Wouldn't that be the next but, logical yeah, step? Yeah, but that would mean a space fucking war. That's what makes this venture into space like so militaristic. It's like once you have these satellites up there, well, now we need to defend them, right? Like putting stuff into space is by default the militarization of space because, I mean, the U.S. military, especially more than any other country, is gaining capability from satellites. Emergency services depend on satellites, right? So like an attack on satellites is like an attack on critical infrastructure. If a satellite's attacked, like this is a huge attack on the country, and that means that all these spacecrafts that we're developing can easily become warcrafts. And the U.S. more than any other country has more to lose because America's armed forces gain a lot of their capabilities from satellites, like more than any other country. So literally, like the space weapons race is fucking on. We're fucking there. We're, we're about there. to be shooting pebbles at each other. Yeah, the pebbles are satellites armed with missiles. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah. should we should we do a little sidebar? The difference between mi missiles and rockets. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, missiles have uh, guiding capabilities, so that once you shoot it, you can decide to turn it around. You could decide to change the target. Whereas a rocket, once you shoot it, it is what it is. So the trajectory of a rocket is based just on the position and the angle. Whereas a missile, there's technology mm -hmm. to actually steer it while it's in the air. Mm -hmm. This is indeed a technology podcast, so we should know the difference between a rocket and a missile. Rockets are unguided and missiles are guided. I'm not 100% on that because- It's like that fire because... and forget it for a rocket. Yeah, but once you're trying to go to the space station, you're on a rocket. Oh, no, no, once you're in orbit. 
I think once you're in orbit, that's a different story. Then you're orbiting. You're not being fired. It's a different thing. They're a different thing. If you know the difference, DM us. <laughs> I love how we both have the internet in front of us, but we're just choosing not to open it. So yeah, okay. So that's Starlink. We talked about Starlink, these internet satellite constellations. We talked about how it's kind of uh, a way for the CIA to aid its regime change operations, how it's now a, quote, critical element of Ukraine's infrastructure. You'd be interested to know maybe that the origins of of a project like Starlink are anti-Soviet, as we mentioned, because these constellations of, of low Earth satellites were first conceptualized in the 80s as part of the Strategic Defense Initiative. Um, where we wanted weapons to be staged into orbit to intercept Soviet missiles at short notice. But before we move on from Starlink, I will say that the name Starlink is apparently inspired by the book The Fault in Our Stars. Oh no, John Green's I'm book sorry. about the terminally so ill girl who... Yes, oh. that was made into a movie starring Shailene Woodley and Ansel Elgort. Hazel Grace, they don't actually hurt you unless you light them. It's a metaphor, see? You put the thing that does the killing right between your teeth, but you never give it the power to kill you. Should we do a little plot play-by-play? Play? No. I haven't seen it, so please do. Oh, so it's a terminally ill girl who like meets a boy and he hides the fact that he's also terminally ill. Oh. And I think he dies before her. Oh, in, no. Um, Does she die I did too? read the book. It's really sad. That's really sad. It's really sad, but it's also like written so simply that it's like you could read it on an eighth grade level. It's like yeah. very easy and it became this like Wildly popular book. Why, right? Yeah. So why um, does it have to do with stars? I mean, it's probably a quote from the book. Got it. Yeah, I think it has, stars, fate. Well, now that we talked about Starlink, let's talk about Star Shield. Okay. This Shield? is a project partner of Starlink. It's a relatively new. The satellite is like product line, but this is their satellite project for military use. So it's essentially the same technology as Starlink, kind of, but it's leveraging that technology for government customers. So they're basically mm. like, we're already we know doing what the- you guys like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we definitely weren't created just for this exact purpose or anything. They worked out the kinks, right? Uh, with their broadband service. They did the broadband service thing for consumers. They did it for commercial use. Now they're like, it's time to get into the government use. Um, obviously, you know, if you're working at Star Shield, you, you need a higher security clearance than at Starlink. Um, but basically now that it's, it established itself as the provider of U.S. national security launches, it's seeking a bigger share of the de- defense market with this new product line, with these satellites for government use. This is relatively new. Like I said, it came out in late 2022. This is them signaling to, to the government that like, hey, look, like we're, we're establishing a separate business unit to handle these orders for you. Like, let us be your service provider. Like, let us make you custom built to order satellites for your defense and intelligence operations. But yeah, I guess this goes back to the point we were saying earlier where like Elon is deeply in bed with the feds and the security state. Like he has all these military contracts, millions and millions of dollars in contracts, uh, either for the Starlink satellite network to test encrypted internet services with military planes or to literally build missile tracking satellites for the Pentagon. They got a contract for that in 2020. Yeah. So they're deeply, deeply in bed with the s- security apparatus and like military industrial con- con- complex, whatever you want to call it. I want to call it com com complex. <laughs> <laughs> What we're going to see in the next few months is going to really show how in bed. Like, is Elon Musk on too long of a leash from the government? Because the 420 launch, in some eyes, is a catastrophic 
failure, but in some eyes is is a success. It lasted all of four minutes. Again, the Starship rocket was the largest in human history launch. It's 37 stories, 33 engines. It got up for four minutes, and then they detonated it because it was kind of off kilter. Mm. And a number of engines failed, and basically it was like a little bit out of their control and a little scary. Yeah, we should say also there was no crew on board, but there was extreme damage to the surrounding wildlife. So basically up until 2020, SpaceX was compliant with what the FAA, with the environmental impact survey that was done originally for them. And then the FAA kind of like trusted Elon Musk to do the environmental impact survey himself. And he's like, all the impacts will be insignificant from the largest rocket ever known to man. They're like, sounds good. Don't let us get in your way. And already in Boca Chica before the 420 launch, there were already bushfires going on. This is a very unique protected Mm. habitat. He the launch center is five hundred feet from a federally protected area where there's several endangered species and already there's some species of birds who have not returned there because their habitat has been destroyed. So why do we need the largest rocket ever known to man? (laughs) Well, you know, he's trying to build up to this mission to Mars and the money that he's getting from NASA in order to build this rocket launcher is for the Artemis capsule to land on the moon. Mm. And they don't need that big of a rocket. The director of the London Institute of Space Policy and Law described it as using a sledgehammer to crack a nut. But like, <laughs> if you have a sledgehammer, yeah. that's kind of then fun. everything looks like a <laughs> nut mission to Mars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a number of things that can go wrong. And there's a substack that's like completely devoted to the environmental impacts Mm. of SpaceX. Mm. And he's been following it for a very long time by Eric Roche. It's called ESG Hound. This guy started, you know, talking about environmentally impacted investment. And now he's just obsessed with SpaceX and how SpaceX is defying all of these very basic environmental laws. So basically the ESG Hound Eric Roche published a Substack blog, was like, here's everything that's going to go wrong before the launch. And it was even worse than what he thought. First of all, you have noise damage. So the the sound of the rocket exploding goes above 120 decibels. We go deaf at 120 decibels. So the wildlife, their hearing is going to be impacted. And of course, you can imagine what kind of effects that's going to have on wildlife. Like maybe they enjoy being deaf. I don't know. Maybe they're using the debris to create nests. <laughs> you never yeah, know. It's a little ableist to assume that they don't enjoy being deaf. Exactly. But if a, a predator or prey goes deaf, like that could change the entire ecosystem. If, if they're, they're not going to see that ocelot coming. Right. <laughs> you not, hear. <laughs> well, well, yeah, they're not going to hear them coming. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's already been a lot of impacts there. And some people are saying like, hey, why aren't you just using the launch pad in Florida that NASA has in Cape Canaveral? In Cape Canaveral, it is four times the size 
the launch pad is four times the size of the Boca Chica, Texas one where SpaceX is. And it was designed with sufficient separation from a launch tower Mm -hmm. and surrounding undeveloped land. And also a basic, basic problem is that the launch pad was just a slab of concrete. Now, in order to have the proper launching pad for a rocket, which nearly every um, space company has or every big rocket has, you have a water deluge system because you're heating up these things. Okay. It's like a giant hose, mm. like 50 feet wide or something. Like the 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 diameter of, of the, the rocket, rocket yeah, you have water, like a waterfall flowing up. Upward, cool. And then fire trenches. So when the rocket, uh, when the rocket goes off, the engines emit this what it's such a ridiculous thing we decided to do as a species as as the humans i love the way we allocate money in this country it's so logical (laughs) so he did not so these are very basic things that you need to have for a launching pad he did not have any of that he didn't have a water deluge system he didn't have the water deluge system or fire trenches basically they couldn't get the the infrastructure ready in time for this 420 launch i guess that elon musk wanted to do since he's so based and they just decided hey we're gonna we're gonna launch this rocket the concrete will probably survive this once uh-huh and they were wrong <laughs> they blew up the launch pad and so there were chunks of concrete that were hurled miles away into the protected habitat, of course, and also a dust cloud that went into neighboring towns, Boca Chica and Port Isabel. And Musk was just like, oh, it's just like a human-made sandstorm. But any particulate matter is going to be hazardous to humans if they breathe it in. It doesn't matter if that if that dust is poisonous or not, it probably is, but no large rocket complex on the planet exists without these trenches and without the water deluge system, not in Russia, not in China, and you you have regulations that make sure that rockets aren't set off without this elsewhere. But then when this rocket set off, so not only did you have the launch pad fucking explode, (laughs) you had, the rocket kind of tilted. It went up at an angle. If there's anything you don't want, yeah. is you want a, a rocket that's not vertical. <laughs> so the amazing thing is that the rocket got up for four minutes and was not damaged by the concrete that it exploded underneath. Whoa. That's why they call it a success because the rocket was yeah. damaged. What happened on the ground though, a lot of damage. And basically they fucked up their launch pad. They're not gonna be able to launch for a long time. They need to, um, yeah, have the water cooling system and the fire trenches. But now Musk is saying that we could have this like steel water cooling plate ready in two months, which is a lie. It can't be ready in two months. And this is also another half measure that for the most powerful rocket on Earth mm. is not going to work. SpaceX 
told the FAA that debris would only fall within 700 acres, like around the launch area, but literally six miles away, they were finding all this particulate matter, like you were saying. It covered people's homes. It covered the schools nearby. There were broken windows nearby. Yeah. And, and it was all over the land. Like you could literally see, there's like pictures of it online. You could yeah. really see the debris covering the land. But it was a success. But it was a yeah. success. They were definitely popping champagne. <laughs> so a mishap investigation is opened by the FAA. So now what we'll see is like if the FAA is going to put its hand down and be like, hey, you can't shoot off rockets without making sure that the ground is okay. Yeah. And you need to make sure that it's like not tilted. And now uh, conservationists have sued the FAA. And now a lot of people are okay. It's more than them though. Like like the environment is is a big part of it. But even just people who live nearby, like it's a, it's like a, it's all different types of interests, like a consortium of people on May 2nd, they filed a lawsuit. It's like all these different local advocacy groups, like nonprofits. Yeah. Like, there They've are people definitely from organized. all types of issues don't like this launch. Like it's not just the bleeding yeah. hearts. You it's know? fish and wildlife. Yeah. It's, it's everybody. They're all yeah, suing the FAA because they're like, you shouldn't have issued that license for SpaceX to launch this. And so starship. yeah, we salute. SpaceX for getting people involved in the yes. political process. Yes. <laughs> and now the space fans and the Musk fans are saying like tree huggers are going to, you know, ruin NASA's trip to the moon. But no, the right question is did SpaceX ruin NASA's plans because number one they didn't need this big of a rocket number two they didn't need to launch it from a launch pad that wasn't ready yeah or they could have done it but prepared and done it right like, yeah there's no reason why you need to you know move fast and break everything Elon's like no it's supposed to explode midair like it's yeah, this and is exactly what I intended. It was kind of strange how um, SpaceX was the sole company to get this NASA contract, the NASA contract to bring the Artemis to the moon, because usually NASA will give the contract to two companies and have them compete for it. But for some reason, SpaceX only got this. And now NASA is only relying on SpaceX to get them there. And now it looks like NASA's plans is mo are moved back. It looks like the whole aerospace industry might go to a standstill because mm. of this 420 launch. Wow. So even for the space heads out there, you should be mad. Yeah, yeah. If, if this is what you want, if you want us to be exploring like that, then you got to do it properly or else things will slow down. It's interesting, though, because like, there there are a lot of articles about the launch like obviously ESG hound and like more of the alt media whatever is like it's this yeah it's critical whatever. but nothing but the mainstream it's all like a success for starship <laughs> and then there's like quotes by Elon Musk like saying like everything went as planned like we didn't expect it to succeed in the lead up to liftoff SpaceX CEO Elon Musk sought to temper expectations saying quote success is not what should be expected that would be insane mm -hmm. but really everybody knew yeah. that the launch pad was not Wasn't ready. ready yeah I guess they're really like framing it like a test. It is a miracle of God yeah. that the rocket was not sufficiently damaged to make it up four minutes. Right. So SpaceX will now need a new license from the FAA to make another attempt. I mean, realistically, 
they're probably going to get it. They're probably going to get it, but it's like, how much is the FAA willing to endanger people around them? Like I said, the rocket wasn't totally vertical. If you have a rocket pointing horizontal, we're in trouble. (laughs) And we've been to the moon in 1969. We have the technology already. Have we, though? (laughs) Oh, no. We're going to have this conversation. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah. Also in 1969, the Russians set up a rocket that's not much smaller than Starship. Yeah, like if you want to really get back to the origins of the space race, you could go to 1955 when both the US and the Soviet Union like announced that they were both going to like launch a satellite basically. And then in 1957, Sputnik 1 happens and they literally traverse like over the continental US three times. And obviously, if you know anything about American politics, this is not chill with us. (laughs) Like, it's embarrassing, number one, because we are number one. And how could we? And it's a dog. Right. (laughs) Sputnik 2 is the dog. That's funny. But yeah, they put the the, the dog in um, Sputnik 2. But... But it's embarrassing, like in 1957, when the Soviets do that, because it's like, we can't be beat. And that's kind of the impetus for all this increased spending into the space industry. Like you even had like the chartering of new federal agencies to set off like all this new space technology, because God forbid the Soviets are ahead of us in technology. And then, yeah, you have Sputnik 2 with, I think her name's Layla, the mm-hmm. dog. Leica. Leica? Leica. Sputnik the second has been launched. A multi-stage rocket with a fuel more powerful than anything the West has in stock puts its final stage into a round-the-world orbit. Two things are astonishing about Sputnik II, its weight, more than half a ton, and its live passenger, a dog, the first living being to leave Earth for outer space. But that sets off panic in the US. It's like, holy shit, we need to beat the Soviets. They create We're the gonna national- We're gonna have two dogs. Yeah. We're gonna have <laughs> and cats. But they create the National Reconnaissance Office in the US in 1961. They're, they're like, okay, we need to find ways to like get film of the Soviet Union like through satellites and like get all this imaging of the Soviet Union and then somehow like get it back to the US. Oh my God, my computer just switched to dark mode without me telling it to. Rude. technology you guys Um, give it up for women in tech yeah but yeah all this like satellite stuff has its origins in us wanting to spy on the USSR and then the People's Republic of China yeah that the problem is is now that it's privatized you have all these startups and I mean there are hundreds of startups that we didn't even mention Mm -hmm. who've been fucking around with their rockets and they they don't even leave they blow up the launch pad every day we don't we don't know how much of that is going on true yeah it doesn't always make the news it's like the worst of both worlds because it's privatized in that there's little oversight and and not really any strong regulations at least in the u.s and then it's also deep ties with the public sector which means all this technology is not just used to make money which is not the best goal but at least it's an understandable goal it's cut and dry it's a business decision it's not just used to make money it's also used to further the interests of the u.s empire and yeah. like the general vibe with like the conversation around space is that it's like this is for exploration you know like even the way like people talk about like oh musk wants to go to mars that's silly but they don't say like what he's actually doing it's like airplanes used to be a peaceful medium of travel too until one day someone decided to drop a bomb from them so like it's going to be exploration and it's going to be it's going to be travel until it's not until we're yeah Yeah. until we're trying to take down somebody some other country's satellites exactly until we're trying to take down some other country's satellites or we like 
create a lot of spacecraft so to protect our satellites. But then as soon as we have military spacecraft up there, other countries like, well, now it's time for us. It's just going to, it's not good, you guys. It's not good. It's not going to end. Um, um, in this like super wide-eyed space book that just came out by Ashley Vance when the heavens went on sale and he's like gushing over all these amazing startups that are, you know, set up to approach the heaven. He asks, you know, like, what's the use of going to Mars to the Rocket Lab founder, Peter Beck? And he says, I mean, if we're being honest, how does sending a couple of dudes to Mars impact your life or my life? We're inspired and that is an impact. But that doesn't really change the way I live my life. However, if we were to put a ton of weather satellites and give away better weather predictions so that crops can be harvested better or shit, just so that we can decide whether to go on a hiking trip or not. That's a meaningful effect on my life. But that's not what he's doing. <laughs> so Peter Beck, even he couldn't really answer. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing all this? Uh, because it's inspiring to me. Yeah. And it was funny when one of Branson's talking points, like after the test pilots died, it was like their children would want to know that the company went on after this and they didn't die for anything. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think the kids really care about space flight anymore right. once they lost their father to it. And I did have a friend whose father died in the Columbia mission and he was not too enthusiastic about yeah, space flight. The last thing they want to hear about is like what you're continuing to do with the company that killed their dad. Yeah, and even then my friend's dad was like part, he was like serving the country by mm. flying with NASA. So we talked a little bit about the environmental impacts through the lens of that 420 launch. Also in the big picture, like space travel, it's not really a great idea from an environmental perspective. Like obviously rockets are burning fuels directly into the stratosphere. That's gonna harm the ozone layer if you care about that. And it's a hundred times worse than a passenger on a rocket is gonna emit a hundred times the CO2 of a passenger on a regular commercial airline. Right, yeah, so. you thought it was bad like with the private jet discourse, like imagine the discourse we're gonna have once space travel is like the barriers to entry are lower and like rich people are constantly going to space. Yeah, and it's actually not that much to get like a seat on a Blue Origins flight. It's like a couple hundred dollars. No? Are you joking? Didn't you look it up? Yeah, it's $450,000 for Virgin oh. Galactic. <laughs> Richard Branson's one. And then for Bezos's Blue Origin, we don't know the prices. Like that's the one William Shatner went on. Like it's kind of under wraps. But in an auction for the first crewed flight in 2021, the w the winning bid was $28 million for, for one single rider. Damn, you don't even so know yeah, if you're going to live. Anyone could go. <laughs> you just want to feel weightlessness. Like, have you heard of a sensory deprivation tank? Well, like, I mean, I guess for some people, that's nothing that to them. Could... It's like, oh, 28 million, like, might as well. It's just all these assholes that were sad they didn't go to space camp. Yeah, Which, it's, you're doing it just to say you did it because the actual experience is what? It's 11 minutes of your ears popping. Yeah, that sounds awful. I don't think your ears actually pop in space, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. No, the pressure is But you do get fitted awful. for a bespoke uh, Under Armour outfit uh, oh, if you're taking yeah. a Virgin Galactic flight. But the company did go under, so. But yeah, so we talked a little bit about the environment. And then also, I mean, like, Obviously, I don't really care about the travelers, but if you want to get into it, it's also bad from a health perspective for them because 
Um, you're getting exposed to a lot of radiation when you go into space. Well, that's DNA damage, that's bone loss, that's muscle loss, and all the blood pressure changes that occur when you're like in microgravity, like are gonna affect you for years to come. So obviously the longer you're in space, the bigger toll on your health. But you know, that's that's a small handful of people that are gonna be affected by that. I think the bigger issue is the yeah. surrounding the area. The rockets blowing yeah. up the yeah. fucking ground that yes. they're blasting off of. And everyone inhaling the particulate matter nearby. But I think you said there's like stricter protocols in Russia and China. Yeah, there are stricter protocols. So yeah, you do have to have that cooling system and those fire trenches in order to launch any kind of missile in China and Russia. And I mean, you'll see that across industries that somehow in the US, uh, a lot of regulations kind of got rolled back recently. And you'll see like chemical companies that are Chinese or Taiwanese mm. coming to the US. And you're like, hmm, why is that? And it's mm. because China is getting more strict. Because there's no fucking laws here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I think we might have to thank Musk for this like 420 fuck up because maybe it's going to cause more mm. regulation. It was just so blatant. Mm. There's pictures going around of all this, you know, chunks of concrete with rebar hanging out of it, steel rebar, and it's just like, dude, we- come on, you can't, you just can't fucking do that. It's just, yeah. it was totally avoidable. Any, any fucking basic amateur astronomer and, you know, rocket guy is going to be like, hey, you can't do that shit. Should we take a bet? Like, you think there's going to be more regulation added? Either um, in a couple months, they might say, all right, Musk will let you try this steel cooling plate, which is a new thing that hasn't been tried, Mm. which will probably lead to similar outcomes. Mm. But, uh, and then we'll have another bad launch. We'll we'll have another explosion. Or we're going to see, I think think that the Starship is going to be grounded until 2024. We can only hope. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. What's your bet? I don't think we're going to get any new regulations, but I do think that Starship is not going to be successful in our lifetime. In a mission to Mars, maybe they'll launch and get more satellites into orbit. It's like they've, yeah, they've engineered this problem that's like too big Mm. for, for what we already, for what we need in order to get to the moon and get this interplanetary space mission set up. So it's like, you don't need this rocket right now. We need we need something smaller that doesn't yeah. need that much fueling. Well, we don't need any of it, probably. Uh, I think it's fun to go to the moon, but... I think, like, as soon, just as the, the day, literally, it could be literally the minute, as soon as everyone in this country has a home, oh my, yeah. we can go to space. Yeah. just It could literally be that right. second. Okay, but we're ending then, with Whitey on the moon. <laughs> we're ending with Whitey on the moon. Rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. 
her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Mm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my bill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. Whitey on the moon. Let's update that. Send your doctor bills to SpaceX.